everybody's body is different and everybody's disease is different and everybody's disease mapped on the body is also different. So what is right for me may not be right for you. And in fact, when people come to me, I don't necessarily recommend the multitude of things that I do because it may not work for them, but we can all make incremental changes to better ourselves and try to figure out what it is that we can do. And it doesn't all have to be at one time. everyone and welcome to Peach Health with Dr. Gupta. This show is for those who want to optimize their health, maximize their genetic potential, and have some fun along the way. All of us have had a friend or loved one affected by cancer. In fact, approximately 40% of individuals in the U.S. will be diagnosed with cancer at some point in their lives. That's a huge number. Conventional medicine focuses a lot on screening methods for prevention and surgery, chemo, radiation, etc. for treatment. But what is not discussed enough is that you have the power to make change and a lot of controls in your hands in terms of prevention and treatment. Many people feel hopeless, but this certainly should not be the case. And that is the topic of today's webcast, feeling empowered with the prevention or treatment of cancer. In this light, I'm extremely excited about our guest and a dear friend of mine, Kimberly Parekh. Kimberly was diagnosed with breast cancer at the age of 38 in February of 2015, and has since been an active cancer advocate. Her breast cancer interest lies in evidence-based, holistic, and complementary approaches for treatment and well-being. In that regard, Kimberly is the founder of a community support group for young persons with metastatic breast cancer in the D.C. region hosted by the Smith Center. She's also a board member of the Smith Center, which promotes integrative strategies for cancer survivors. Through this position, she supports cancer advocacy for the White House's Cancer Moonshot 2.0 initiative. Kimberly works in the Komen Foundation in organizing their annual D.C. Regional Metastatic Breast Cancer Conference. Kimberly also works as a senior education advisor for the World Bank and UN and is based out of Washington, D.C. She continues to enjoy traveling internationally for both, both work and pleasure and spends much of her time in various holistic practices such as yoga and a plant-based diet. Welcome, Kim. Thanks. Nice to be here, Ravi. Yes, really happy to have you. And uh, why don't we just start off with you telling us, we'll just get into it. Just tell us a little about about your early life and what your lifestyle was like and your habits were like kind of growing up and then, and then how you came to know of this diagnosis. Okay. So, um, I was born and raised in the States and I, that's how I know Dr. Gupta, Ravi, we were classmates at university of Virginia and I, from an early age had an interest in helping others. And I chose a career in international development, which led me all over the world. In my 20s, I started and ran schools for very marginalized and underserved children, and then moved back at the age of 30 to start a doctoral program and eventually made my way back to the DC area. So my professional life really works a lot in international development, education, child protection, and kind of has equity embedded within that. And it's been a very big part of my life. But um, I've also, for, I don't know, for many reasons, I've gravitated towards um, well-being. You know, it wasn't always like that, but in my 20s started to come into different things that sort of made me feel good and made me feel whole and really started to pick many things up along the way. So I'm a lifelong vegetarian, started practicing yoga at 
the in my early 30s. I've been practicing for 15 years now. Somewhere along the way, I became a vegan. And so I would always sort of look at ways of health and, you know, try to, I don't know, it just made me feel good. Honestly, it was a way of um, keeping my energy consistent, feeling good about myself. And so when I was diagnosed at the age of 38 with stage four metastatic breast cancer, it came as a big surprise to me and all those around me. I can't even tell you how many people, almost every person in my life said, but you're the healthiest person I know because, because it, it, it was always like that. You know, my snacks were never cupcakes. They were always carrots. And so it was a, it was a bit of a shock. I remember that, that moment when you told me, I mean, I remember it like it was yesterday because it was, it was so shocking. I, I didn't expect this at all. And, and certainly there's a period of time where, you know, as everybody feels hopeless in this kind of situation, but then you gained you gained this hopefulness uh, later. So how, how did that happen? How did that transition happen to you? Oh, I, I don't know if I would say I felt helpless, but I had a lot of anxiety. So I was 38 years old. And at the time we had heard about, you know, in fact, a very close friend of mine, one of my best friends from university had early stage breast cancer. And that we were starting to hear of, unfortunately, some women, and now we know men in their 30s with breast cancer, but advanced breast cancer stage four is a different thing. So as you know, all cancer is treatable, but only stage zero, one, two, and three is curable. And only 5% of those under the age of 40 are diagnosed with stage four. So I felt so alone. I, I felt like I was given this very serious, and at the time, a terminal diagnosis, the survival rate for a person with my demographic and pathology at that time was 22%. And as you know, survival rate is not for the rest of your life. It's, it's given in a span of five years. So I had a one in five chance that I would make it five years. It was hard. It was really hard. And I and I felt anxious. I felt very anxious. So I wouldn't say hopeless, but I, it felt very uncertain for me, for sure. And I took the year off. At the time, I had the year prior, I had quit my job with the federal government to finish my doctoral dissertation. So I was in the midst of writing and I put it aside. And I actually initially got very sick. So this doesn't happen to most people. Although actually many people have um, significant side effects from the treatment. So I've never done surgery and I've never done chemo, but they did radiation to my spine. And that gave me a severe side effect of esophagitis. So a five centimeter tract in my esophagus got burned and it was raw and bleeding and I was hospitalized and down to 90 pounds and, you know, they were fighting about whether or not to put a peg feeding tube. So a direct feeding tube into my stomach and my oncologist team ended up pushing back on that, which I'm thankful for. And I slowly had to build strength, you know, come back to myself. And so in the beginning, it was a lot of just that physical type of healing and getting better. And once I started to get stronger, I wanted to sort of, I don't know, for me, maybe it was a 
sense of control, or maybe it was a sense of like doing something for myself or just wanting to get better. But I started to study a number of different complementary strategies that I could do in addition to the medicine that I was taking. So yeah. So I just said recommendations and said, these are the, these, this is the medicine for you. Right. And then in addition, I started to take that path. So I yeah. spent an entire, almost a year, I started to read prolifically. I visited an integrative oncologist who I recommend to everybody that comes into this similar. Let situation. me, uh, let me pause for one second, Kim. So first of all, thank you so much for sharing that because I'm, I know that's a difficult topic. For, for anyone to share. It's very personal. Sincerely appreciate that. But it also, by you sharing that, it gives people tremendous hope because what you just shared with me, you just shared with me this information before we started recording. And maybe you could just share it with our listeners here. You know, what did the oncologist just tell you recently? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it's been seven years. That was seven years ago. Right. And, um, and it's been a long journey. And I continue to take the, the hormone and target therapy. But in, in addition to, take, to doing all of these complementary strategies, which I will, will outline in a bit, you know, now seven years later, I'm stable. So I have what they call no evidence of active disease in my spine, which was the source of my metastasis, as well as in my breast. When I was originally diagnosed, I had disease burden. So the, the cancer, the tumors covered 70% of my breasts. And now it's all gone. It's disappeared. That's, that's unbelievable. It's that, amazing. And I'm not sure, you know, what to credit for it. And I don't know. I don't know if it's quite, you know, there's a lot of I think that I really believe in the complementary and holistic things that I do, but, um, you know, people have mixed opinions about it, but it helps the rest of my body for sure. And I actually think that it's helping to mitigate cancer progression and cancer tumor growth, which I'm sure you, you agree with as well. And so for me, I'm happy to, to do it all. So, well, that's, that's just, that's so amazing. I I mean, I can't tell you how excited and happy I am for you hearing that. And I absolutely agree. There's other strategies that you can take. So you, you can have control over this process. And, and the feeling of hopelessness or helplessness um, is something that I'm sure almost everyone feels when they, ha- when they get this diagnosis. But the great thing is there are things that you can do. And there are things that you just mentioned. You could, you could, could take control of your own, your body, your health, maybe your overall well-being and let your body sort of manage and uh, mitigate this disease because you're, there's a tremendous healing capacity within all of us. We just have to tap into it. There's so many, and there's different modalities to do it. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, yeah. during this webcast is talking about that, your experience and you know, what you can share with us. I want to start by just defining um, functional medicine, which is what I, the medicine that I practice and it's a collaborative systems-based approach to medicine as opposed to functioning ind- independently like conventional practices. For example, you'll see the cardiologist or the oncologist or the GI doctor. So everybody, you know, focuses on their system. They don't look at the body as a whole. So functional medicine is, is a type of medicine where you look at the body as a whole and you look at the root causes and see what's causing disease and that try to mitigate and solve those problems. And just want to add that 
you know, to be clear, all cancer isn't equal, right? There's you, somebody with breast cancer could have a vastly different cancer from one to another, even though they're both, both diagnosed with breast cancer. Exactly. Um, so, you know, there's not a one treatment fits all approach for these people, but there's the functional medicine approach and, you know, the integrative approach, same thing that you've been talking to me about and same things we'll discuss in just a bit. They're the same and they work just in general to help you feel better, to feel healthier, feel this vitality and, and really engage the natural healing processes of your body. Um, so we're going to focus on, we'll focus on mindset, including stress relationships, diet, nutrition, number two, sleep, number three, um, metabolism and detoxification, number four, and then exercise, number five. Now this is, there's a lot of other areas, but these are the main areas which we'll focus. So we'll try to go one to the other just to get your input and recommendations for these things. And, you know, we can always sort of mix and match around as we go, but because they all are all intertwined in some way. So let's, let's start with mindset, you know, keeping a positive outlook. Cause every time we meet, you're just so positive and full of energy. And I, I just, I love that about you. How do you manage stress and, and keep that positive outlook? No, thanks. Yeah. I, you know, and before I get into the answering your question, I, I just wanted to respond to what you were saying about functional medicine. I completely agree with you. And I look at the body as a whole and take a very mind, body, soul approach. And so I think that everything in concert will kind of make us, you know, sort of better and lead to sort of better well being. And I also want to say before I start getting into my own personal history and experience, and as Ruby sort of alluded to yours directly said just now, everybody's body is different and everybody's disease is different. And everybody's disease mapped on the body is also different. So what is right for me may not be right for you. And in fact, when people come to me, I don't necessarily recommend the multitude of things that I do because it may not work for them, but we can all make incremental changes to better ourselves and try to figure out what it is that we can do. And it doesn't all have to be at one time. In my own personal experience, it happened one by one. I took this approach where I sort of learned about one thing that I knew about first really well. So for me, it was nutrition, right? And so then I focused on that, made some incremental changes. And once it became a habit, then I kind of gained interest and I focused on something else, you know? And so, and that's what I would recommend to anybody who wants to take this approach. And I would also say that in the beginning, when you're first diagnosed or when you're in acute treatment, it's okay to, to leave this to the side. I mean, your job is to really stabilize. And when you stabilize and you have the room and the wherewithal, then you can start to engage in all these different things, you know, and it will come natural, right? So absolutely. So that kind of segues into your question and the mindset. I don't know. I don't know what to say. I, you know, I've always been, I work in poverty. So I'm always been a positive person. It's hard to work in poverty and being, you know, otherwise you would be a depressed person. But I actually, you know, I, you know, I, when people say that to me, yes, I am optimistic and I sit on the positive side, but with this, I draw a lot from my faith and my background and, you know, the, the things that I tell people that it's okay to have bad days and it's okay to feel that just, you know, feel all the feelings 
And I think what I tell people is you don't necessarily have to be positive because I think there is there can be a toxic positivity where we're not like, you know, recognizing some things that are difficult or, or challenging for us. But you don't necessarily have to be negative either. You can stay in the middle and be neutral and take out the judgment and the expectations and see. I mean, my my case is part of the continuum and it sits on one side of it for sure. I have had a an exceptional response, but you could be that person too. You, you don't know that. You don't know if, yes, and it is a serious disease that has serious consequences and it, a serious diagnosis, serious prognosis, right? But I would just say, just rest, rest in a neutral space and try not to make judgment. And so, so in order to create that mindset, what I do is to have opportunities for blank space. So a lot of people sit, come to me and say, oh, Kimberly, I don't meditate. That's okay. You don't have to meditate as such, but your mind is always spinning. And for me, trust me, when I was diagnosed, I was sleeping four hours a night. My mind was out of control spinning. But once I sort of created these opportunities for rest. So for me, my two major opportunities for rest are yoga. When I, and when I kind of um, come into the physical space, I don't allow my mind to think, uh, you know, not gently push away and really focus on the physicality or, or taking walks. There's a lot of mindfulness for me when I, when I walk, I yeah. have stopped running because the metastasis is on my spine, but yeah. So um, that's what I sort of recommend is that. And yeah, and for sure, I draw back from my faith and, you know, the fact that things are temporary and it it's not always going to be like this. Yeah. And it's through my whole 45 years and yours too. I mean, everybody's it. Sometimes it's a lot of joy and sometimes it is difficult and sometimes it is perfectly possible to experience joy and suffering at the same time. You know, that Absolutely. is beauty of life. So yeah, yeah those so are my little nuggets. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And there's so much we can talk about for each of these topics and you can literally go on for, for hours and hours, but we'll try to just chunk it down to the main things. And what you said super important, super important, just, you know, just some kind of mindfulness practice is, is very important in general meditation, going for walks, you know, exercise is also yoga, super important. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. That's all important for just that general stress relief and calmness. And then I also think it's important to understand that in when you are in a space of calmness, there is healing there. Um, when you're agitated, you're stressed out, um, your cortisol levels are higher. You know, your adrenergic levels are higher. You're, you know, you, you're getting get gut issues from that kind of thing. You're not sleeping well, um, you're eating improperly. Like there's a lot of consequences from being stressed out. So just being peaceful in and of itself is super helpful. So those are some of the, some of the basic things to do. And then also, I think very importantly, focus on gratitude, right? Like, cause if you're in a space of gratitude, fear and anger sort of go away. And, um, it's sometimes hard to be in that space, but if you condition yourself on a daily basis, and as you said, not be toxically positive because you can certainly do that and try to ignore things, but like really focus on things that you have in life that, you know, like your friends, your family, or, you know, your dog or, you know, the house you live in, whatever it may be. Yeah. You focus on that. Keep, you know, just, just hone in on that gratitude and that helps tremendously. I totally, so powerful. I 
Totally agree with you. That that gratitude piece is so critical. And, you know, doing sort of one kind thing for yourself every day. And, you know, like things like like when I was in the hospital, I couldn't take down a cup of water. So when I drink a cup of water, I feel so grateful for that. It's like small little things, you know? And so yes. yeah. Exactly. So let's let's move on to diet. Given you you just spoke about water, um, which is part of a foreign part of diet. So what kind of now you mentioned you're vegan. So I mean, how did that play into this? What kind of, you know, dietary practices do you have? Did so you- that was before cancer. Yeah. Amazingly so. Um, but what I did was I, I, so I tried to be, so kind of vegan-ish and gluten-free is what I tried to be. Um, but I made some adjustments with cancer when I started to took a, take a little bit of a lens for, for foods that we know are really powerful in the cancer journey. So, and and that's really readily available online. So for example, we know that cruciferous vegetables are offer sort of powerful components um, to fighting cancer. We know that beta carotene, so all of these wonderful orange colored vegetables, we know that lycopenes, which we get through tomatoes or certain types of mushrooms or you know, leafy greens. And so really kind of honing in. And I was really steadfast in the beginning and literally would run through this mental kind of list of like making sure that I was getting this super balanced, you know, diet um, so that I was doing everything in my power. And I'm still like that. I've just with stability and I think, you know, eased up a little bit. Um, But yes, I, I tried to take that approach. I where I am low glycemic, anti-inflammatory, you know, eat things that cause less oxidative stress. So for example, blueberries are high in antioxidants, right? So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to mitigate the enabling factors that will exacerbate or worsen the cancer. So that's my entire approach towards that. So things that I know are not good for me, I just don't do it. Not that I was have been like that for years, but I just don't do it anymore. So what about fasting? Did you do any fasting or, you know, my, my, my thing within cancer, I've, I've tended to, everybody is different, but, um, at different points have struggled in maintaining weight. So there is a thing around calorie consumption and things like that, but I do like intermittent fasting and I do in fact, de facto intermittent fast. So um, probably I can't, 16 hours, de facto, I end up right. doing that. I think a big thing, one of the things that I do is I juice. So I juice um, vegetables to really get a direct hit of nutrients into my body. And one of the things that um, that we'll get into when we talk about detox is hydration. So elimination is really important. And part of that, people don't actually often don't drink enough water. So uh, as you will probably tell us in a bit, it it may be a good idea to go online. They're free hydration calculators and that will assess your body weight and the altitude and the sunlight. And if you're pregnant and, you know, and tell you how much water and you'll be surprised. I mean, most of us are under hydrating, but that's so good because it's a part of detox. So these are sort of some of the things that I do. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And I'll just add a few things. You know, you mentioned that inflammation is incredibly important because you want to eat an anti-inflammatory diet. And that literally is kind of the basis of what you're trying to do in mitigating 
the diagnosis or preventing cancer. Eating a whole unprocessed foods diet is incredibly important. Vegetables, as you mentioned, lots of vegetables, you know, your, your plate should consist of vegetables, a protein source, and healthy fats. And if you don't understand an ingredient, then you probably shouldn't be eating it. Like, you know, those, you buy the ba- a bag of chips with a laundry list of things that you have no clue what they are. You probably should not be eating that. Um, you know, kind of a rule of thumb is five ingredients or less and, and ingredients that you know. But ideally, you don't even want five. You just want one ingredient. Like this is an avocado. This is a, you know, this is spinach. So it's very simple. Also, there is some obesity, obesity related cancers as well. And the goal is to really eat a diet so that you are dropping your body fat and, and specifically your visceral fat, because that causes a lot of inflammation. So sort of like a rule of thumb is looking at your waist hit ratio. So for men, it should be less than 0.9 for women, less than 0.8. And if you're above that, you really want to try to, to eat such that your visceral fat decreases at you know, therefore your inflammation will decrease and you, you potentially will prevent cancers um, just by doing that in and of itself. Another thing to do is checking your fasting glucose and fasting insulin, two-hour postprandial glucose and, and insulin. So th- those are some of the kind of the, that's the theory behind diet. It's really, as you mentioned, anti-inflammatory, um, high in antioxidants, whole balanced diet, and uh, really avoiding processed mm-hmm. um, type food. Completely. I, yeah. I completely agree with you. And, and if you can, you know, trying to be seasonal, even the, the na- there's so much um, correlation with food and nature. So like in the summertime, we eat berries because they give us a lot of fluid and liquid and we need that. We need to hydrate because it's hot outside. Right. And then right. as opposed to the winter and eating heartier fruits, like apples and pears and things like that. Thank yeah. You. Like a, col- a colorful plate is, is ultimately what's important. You want to eat all the colors of the rainbow as many colors as you can. A lot of people don't eat enough uh, purple, purple type foods, you know, like that's, that's a color that's, that people don't eat much of. And those foods like blueberries or, you know, things like, like those types of things are super high in antioxidants and phytonutrients. Okay. Let's go, let's go to um, detoxification. Cause you mentioned that. So you mentioned you hydrate for detoxification. Do you, do you do anything else? What other practices do you have? So there's a couple of things that I think for me have personally been important. So the hydration is one. Um, Sweating is another one because as Dr. Gupta will probably tell you about the skin and its utility in in releasing. So the, the yoga that I practice is heated. So that allows this opportunity to sweat a lot. And then of course, around elimination and gut health, which I'm sure you're going to talk about or get into. So I, I think with, with, the kind of synchronicity of those three things. That's what I, that's what I do around kind of toxicity because I eat so clean and I do everything else is, is rather clean. So these are just kind of opportunities to, and, and, and it's all works in concert with each other. So for example, like rest, proper rest, like we'll talk about that. That's also needed so that you can repair and regrow. Right. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so when people think about detoxification, it's it, some people don't understand it, but as you mentioned, literally it's, it means just eliminating, right? So like, you know, kind of your, your stool, your urine, your sweat. I mean, those are the ways, those are the three ways your body eliminates toxins that are in your system. So what you want to do is support uh, these systems. So you mentioned, you know, sweating and going into a sauna. Actually, there's a lot of data supporting sauna treatments because you are sweating 
yeah. um, and eliminating toxins that way. You want to facilitate having regular bowel movements. Um, and if you eat fibrous vegetables and um, a healthy whole foods diet, you will have, you will notice your bowel movements will become regular. Some people, you know, will say, oh, I'm regular. I, I go one to two times a week. You know, every week I go one to two times. And that's not regular. Regular is one to two times a day. You also drink, as you mentioned, drink plenty of water. Like a simple way to do it is just, you could do those calculations as you mentioned, but just look at your, the color of your urine. If it's, if it's constantly yellow, that means you're, you're concentrated, but you want to get to the point where you're drinking enough so that it's, it clears up and you will go regularly. You also, you don't want to drink a lot before going to bed, right? Try not to drink like three hours before you sleep because then you will wake up in the middle of the night and it will interfere with sleep. And I think, you know, part of this also is just exposure, right? There's plastics, there's, you know, chemicals like BPA, pesticides, heavy metals, all that stuff's in our environment. So you want to decrease your exposure because your body can eliminate those things. Um, it is possible to eliminate them. It's difficult. And you can imagine if you have all these like, you know, heavy metals and pesticides in your body, and then you're eating a crappy diet, which has chemicals that you're trying to eliminate. It just, it, there's, it overwhelms your elimination system and all these things build up and have consequences. So, um, you know, I really support regenerative farm uh, foods, um, even organic, if you can't do that, um, try not to use pesticides not using pesticides and chemicals when you can avoid it and just be as natural as you can. Mm -hmm. um, not, not heating in plastic containers or using plastic containers. Exactly. So th these are ways that you can support your own detoxification system and your metabolism to help you heal. Yeah, um, to, to yeah. add to that, there's in the, in terms of the products, there's actually tools out there available for us. So for example, the environmental working group has a database of products. And so when I was diagnosed, it changed everything, shampoo, makeup, everything. And the great thing is, is there's so much awareness now that there are things out there for us. There are alternatives for everything and not crappy ones, really high quality, good products. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point. I, I love the environmental working group page. There's so much information there. You can actually look at maps where there's heavy amounts of pesticides in certain areas. And, you know, you can look at where to live in the U.S., based on like your, your toxin exposure. So it's, it's a, it had, there's a ton of information, a very uh, interesting website to check out. And they also have, they, they have a dirty dozen list. So these, there's certain foods that you should really try to buy organic because otherwise there's tons of pesticides in there. So it's a, it's a good list to check out. Okay. So moving on to exercise, you mentioned yoga. So what do you, what do you do for exercise? So from? that's my primary way in yeah. which they exercise. So it's like, it's a, it's heated vinyasa. So vinyasa for many people that don't know, it just means flow. It's the movement from one posture to another, but it's done in a cyclical fashion that's so fast that it builds up your cardio uh, rate, your heart rate. Um, so it is what, what is conventionally known as power yoga, uh, which is what I do, but I am consistent. I do it every day. Even if I, don't feel good, I do it and take it a bit easy or even rest. I think just showing up is is great, but I love it because I think it builds a lot of strength for me and it continues to have my heart rate up and then it provides for stability. So that personally for me has resonated with me. And then I really have a mind-body connection to nature. So I spend a lot of time outside if I can, not on a regular basis, but I try to hike around and, you know, spend time in nature and then of course walks. And so, 
Yeah. It, you know, it, it, there are different opportunities that present itself. So for example, I was just on holidays in Guatemala and I was kayaking on the lake. You know, I try to stay active whenever I can aside from the yoga. So that's what I do for, for exercise. But it, it, it serves me so well because I have metastasis on my spine and I'm so committed to not taking narcotics and opiates. And that is often the default and what will be given instead of these types of alternatives and those types of drugs. While and, and I think there is a time and a place where it should be used in acute settings where you are in severe pain, but chronically over time, they're difficult for our bodies and we risk a lot. We risk addiction and we risk things like for me, I know when I've had to take it in the past, it's had implications on my GI system. So I want to avoid that. So that's why I do this because I don't feel pain when I do it. And that's such a great, that that's the incentive for me. That's why I'm on my mat every day. So I feel fit. And one of the things that I was sharing with Remy is that I've never felt stronger. So right now I'm actually, because of the, the studio has been so encouraging I'm actually in training to become an instructor because I will do it on my spare time. And, um, but right now I'm in training and I'm going to, you know, audition at the end of the month and to be a certified yoga teacher. And I'm so excited about that. So like, you're not doing enough things, Kim, you're adding (laughs) a yoga instructor to your list of, let's see. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Yoga is such a great exercise because as you mentioned, you can get the cardiovascular benefit. You can help stretch and elongate your muscles, um, improve your flexibility. It's an awesome exercise. Um, and I think uh, very importantly, going outside as much as possible is great because just being outdoors in and of itself is sort of is stress relieving, but also the sunlight exposure helps. And it's not even direct, even if it's not direct sunlight exposure, um, you still get that infra- infrared light. And, um, in fact, there's some literature that's, that's, uh, suggesting that that infrared light in and of itself, um, stimulates your mitochondria and produces, uh, melatonin in your mitochondria, which is a potent antioxidant. So, you know, that actually also helps as well, helps you feel better and has an antioxidant activity. So there's a lot of reasons to be outside. So, you know, recommendations is to exercise, uh, in whatever way you feel like you can, uh, you know, going for walks, um, going to the gym if you want to do that, because it, it improves your mood, decreases risk of disease, um, kind of improves, decreases your pain. Um, there's something called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which it increases. It's kind of like the feel-good hormone. So there's so many benefits. Okay, let's let's move to sleep now. And sleep is, as we all know, super important. So what, what kind of practices do you do around sleep? So admittedly, I, you know, I sleep well, but through routine, I have to be consistent, which I think, and what I've read about is that, you know, we should all have habits like we have for our children. We sleep around the same time. We wake up around the same time. Otherwise our body gets a little bit confused. And so I think that that creates like the sort of the best rest. So for me, ideally I like to sleep around 10 30 11 I like to wake up around 7 7 30 and um and I'm able to rest well when I'm not in my own setting it's a little bit disruptive for me and you know I get a little bit out of sorts but yeah I um you know the the naturopath recommended to sleep a little bit cooler 
in a cooler setting. So around like somewhere between 68 to 70. I don't know what other recommendations. Try to unplug a bit before. Absolutely. I am I am a little bit, this is a this is like my weak spot. Uh, not on my phone, but I often end up watching something right before I go to bed. But I want to come towards just a little bit of letting go of that and just having a bit more silence. But I think that is supposed to be good for us and kind of coming down, like allowing our body to come down. Right. Um, I remember, Kim, when we we were, so we both were at a mutual friend's wedding in Miami and and Kim had a, um, she had a roommate at the time and she just came down frazzled and was like, I can't sleep. She is like, I don't know which was she snoring or she was doing something. You just could not, you could not sleep with her in the room. So I think you kicked her out. Yes, melatonin is very helpful. I've never, I've never taken melatonin since cancer diagnosis, but it's a natural way to help you come down. Yes. Yeah. So some recommendations, I'll just stack on that. Sleep hygiene, super important. And I would say start with sleep hygiene before you look at medications because commonly people are just like, oh, I can't sleep. Give me some drugs. Mm-hmm. And that really shouldn't be it. You should look at the root cause. So some things that Think about, expose yourself to sunlight in the morning, specifically, uh, you know, like right when the sun rises, try to look at the light. Um, that in and of itself will help sleep because it suppresses melatonin, it uh, entrains you into your circadian rhythm, and uh, you want to avoid blue light the last two hours at night. So that blue light will actually, again, suppress your melatonin. You need a higher level of melatonin to sleep well. So try to avoid that if you, if you know, if you, like Kim, watch a little something. I do the same thing. You know, it's, it's, it's hard not to, my phone's right there. I shouldn't keep it next to me, but I do. So I'm like, oh, let me watch this YouTube, uh, you know, um, little, you know, segment or whatever. So try you, if you want to do that, wear blue blocking glasses. Um, that's, that's something that will help. Other thing to consider is exercise. Well, definitely exercise as we discussed, because that helps with sleep. Don't eat two hours before you sleep and eating a whole foods, healthy diet is important. And also consider, uh, some practices at night, like bathing before you sleep, you know, that can calm you down. Like things that help you calm, deep breaths, journaling, those types of things really calm you down. So you're not, especially journaling, if you, your mind's racing, write down the things that you, you want to take care of for the next day. And that way it's out of your mind and you're not racing and thinking about those things as you're sleeping. Sleeping in a dark room is also important. Um, so get those, those curtains uh, to keep the light out. And then the temperature, as you mentioned, Kim, uh, you want to keep the temperature like right, right around 68 degrees low, your body naturally drops in temperature as you sleep. And if you have a bunch of covers on, you know, and you're sweating, a lot of times you'll, people notice they sweat and wake up and like, God, yeah, I'm hot. And that if you, if you stay cool, it'll prevent that from happening. Awesome. So we went through a ton of information. I know that there's probably, we could probably go on and on for another several hours, if not more, but, uh, it was just a tidbit and, and an understanding of, you know, the things you can do, you can take control of if you have this uh, diagnosis or and really, literally, if you just want to prevent cancer or just live a healthier life. Do you have, uh, Kim, what, what are some parting thoughts you have? Any, any resources to share? Well, the parting thoughts I have about how empowering this, and then this is what we've been talking about this entire hour, but cancer is, is out of our control. It is. There's not, I mean, I, I, I try to do as much as I could possibly do, but I think I've come into a place of accepting and letting go and I don't fight with it. I live with it and, and it's okay. 
but that doesn't mean that I've given up. I do everything in my power to stay well. And all of these things allow, allow for that. You know, they allow it for us to stay well. So it's when you started out, your first question to me was around hopefulness, help, helplessness and hopefulness. And so I think this will create those sort of hopeful strategies that you are, you are in it. This, it's not out of your control. And these are certain, there are certain things that you can do for yourself. I outline some things that I do for myself, but you can find out what is right and best for you. Um, so yeah, and there are many, many resources out there. I will encourage you to focus on resources that are evidence-based. There's a lot out there and a lot of people say a lot of things and a lot of promises. And I am, I, I want to kind of say that none of these things are going to you know, cure cancer, but they will help you become whole and help you address it. And, you know, who knows, maybe you'll come into a place of, of no evidence of active disease or full remission or whatever, but um, focus on things that are backed by experts and that have data to support it because there there is a lot of misinformation out there because people are struggling and they do want that hope. So that's, these are some of my party thoughts. Excellent. And there's a book that you told me about, which I have here. Yes. I don't want to endorse, but I, I get nothing out of this, but this yeah. is what guides my practice. It's called Life yes. Over Cancer with Keith Block. And this is the integrative oncologist that I saw and I love it. It's it's very backed by research and then offers strategies, practical things that we can do for ourselves along the line of this conversation. So yes. Excellent. Well thank you so much, Kim. This was amazing. I'm so happy to have you and um, I'm sure we'll get you back at some point and we can delve into some of these topics in more detail. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. It was a pleasure. And I'm so glad that you're you're working on these issues and working with so many people that are also facing these similar types of things. So. Thank you so much. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And if you did, please make sure to hit the subscribe and the like button and leave a comment about what you'd like to see on our future episodes. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only, does not substitute for professional care, nor does it constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for medical care, please seek a qualified doctor or medical professional. For more information, or if you'd like to check out our programs, please visit our website, peakwellnesshealth.com. That's peakwellnesshealth.com.